So tipping points are those moments when we will not be able to control global warming anymore. Yeah. So when they happen, the developments become faster and faster, and we move closer to the destruction of human life on Earth. So for many indigenous peoples, the tipping points for the, their survival has been reached. In some cases, we have passed already. The reason for this is the, that uh, since long time, we faced social, economic, and cultural marginalization. Global warming is the last drop of water into a glass full of water, and it overflows. Welcome to the Decolonization in Action podcast, a podcast that considers how knowledge, science, and medicine are being decolonized today. My name is Edna Bonhomme, and I'm broadcasting from Berlin, Germany. Today, I'm joined by Yihi Pru, who is a lawyer and climate activist. She practices at the local court in Dhaka, Bangladesh. She belongs to an indigenous community in Chittagong Hill, tracts of southeastern Bangladesh, and is committed to including indigenous perspectives in the struggle for justice. She was the complainant in a constitutional case against the Federal Republic of Germany. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to bringing here. So we are currently broadcasting from Germany, and I want to acknowledge Germany's failure to legislate on sufficient climate protection measures. And, you know, it's important for us to think about how entire nation states in the global north have been heavily responsible for global warming. And in a way, we have to think about how the climate summit in Paris in 2015 wanted to contribute and be able to limit the global warmings to less than two degrees, but preferably to 1.5 degrees. And we see this as part of a strategy, not just for the survival of people in the global north, but also the survival of people in the global south and, and places such as Bangladesh, places like Haiti, where my family's from and beyond are often the recipients of very unstable and unpredictable climate effects. But that also happened here in Germany, where there were floods that happened during the summer, killing almost 200 people in Western Germany. So the climate crisis is also impacting people in Europe. And, you know, we can start and talk about the current position and what's happening, but I, I kind of wanted to understand or get a sense of your origin story as a climate activist and what brought you to really be an advocate for this movement. Mm -hmm. Thank you. As a lawyer, I'm practicing Dhaka, at, already you mentioned, but still for people that I'm practicing in Dhaka. And I belong to Marma indigenous community in the Chittagong Hill Tracks in the south of Bangladesh. And I belong to also the a small ethnic group. It's called Marma. And yeah, first, if I have to, if this, then I have to go back to 2017, where my home region in the Chittagong Hill Tracks of Bangladesh, there were landslides. There were more than 100 people were died by landslides. And after that, I went to, yeah, I think it's, I, I would want to add more that also personally I affected by uh, when I was a young woman, I have been affected by landslides. 
and I know the disaster and the feelings and yeah and our house was one wall failed in my own eyes that in front of my neighbor's house took away the river so we were saved mm, uh, yeah I and my sister were talked about that uh, we were saved and we stayed also for a week uh, for we stayed in relatives place but still until today the the feelings I can I can feel that until today with me yeah so in 2017 I went to visit the victim of uh, landslides people and I saw and I thought what would be my role as a lawyer and as a woman of, of, uh, from my indigenous community. And also the, I would like to use my knowledge as an indigenous woman because when I grew up in the, my home region, there were civil war. So I knew that the effect of the, how people suffer. So yeah. And then I went to there and I wrote, I visited with them and I listened and I talked with them and I visited the, the where people were also that. And it was so difficult to also, you know, the all, all people who had survived, they were in a shelter center at a school place. Immediately they, they made there and I went there and I talked with them. Yeah, and I thought that what, what would be good to do, then I wrote the report about that. And I tried to send to the many organizations and also in other countries, internationally, many organizations who are working on climate change, who are working on human rights. So I sent that and also I discussed with my colleagues. Yeah, they were sad, but they were one, one kind of laughing that I told that I'm going to sue against who are responsible for global warming. Yeah, and they were laughing about me. And I said, I don't want to see like this, this situation. So they said, oh, you can do company cases or do here the company cases that you can earn and you can help them. As when you earn enough money, then you can help them money. But I said it's to helping money. It's not, yeah, that is the not solution. So yeah, from that, I sent many organizations and in many countries, I sent in USA, Australia, Netherlands, Nepal, India, Germany. And since that, uh, on 2019, from that, I started to know uh, Professor Rimo Klinga, mm -hmm. a human rights lawyer from Berlin. Yeah, through that, we discussed about how we can do the legal action for the climate justice. So we discussed about that, and then uh, we found out two problems. One was that it would be very expensive because the cost, the court case would be very expensive because who will pay also that. In Germany, already they have a one case against the RWE Energy that my colleague, we are working on that. The, the case was the Sawa Luciano de Yuya, a farmer from Peru. So that problem and second problem is there is an attribution problem. That means it is difficult to prove 
how big is the contribution of global warming to the disaster of landslides and how big the contribution of the factors like, for example, deforestation. So that's why for this reason, we decided to develop a constitutional complaint for Germany's failure to legislate on sufficient climate protection measures. So I have a brief thing to go back on, which is to say, in a way, what you did as well is you submitted a UN special rapporteur on the rights of indigenous people in Geneva. And that work was part of what you're describing, a lawsuit against the German federal government, which is a whole campaign that's not just about Germany, but a kind of international context in which you're trying to make governments responsible in addition to companies. To what extent is this important to target governments for the climate crisis as opposed to just private companies that might be doing this? Or what's the benefit of doing both? Mm -hmm. Yeah, if we don't make a case, if we don't have the legal instrument, we cannot take the action. So we, especially we did the specific case because then, you know, the this year, 2021, the court, a constitutional court, declared that the German government has to tighten the climate protection law. So this is the already they said, but yes, they are, the government said that, yes, they will, uh, they will do, but which, which time, how the specific, they did not mention that. So we are watching that closely, what would do the governments of Germany. So, you know, that for individually take care of the emission that we individually can take care, but for the company who are the big emitters or airlines or the car company, we cannot stop this. Yeah. So only the specific rule can stop this global warming to the 1.5 degree. So another thing that I think is so important to acknowledge and recognize, given the struggles that you've been involved in and the intersectional lens that you've taken up, which is from an Indigenous perspective, which I think is so important to highlight, it was only until April 2020 that Germany ratified the International Labor Organization for Indigenous and Tribal People's Convention, the ILO C-169, which was written in 1989. So, you know, that's a huge gap between when that was formed versus the ratification by the government of Germany. And to give it some perspective, Norway and Mexico had ratified this in 1990. Nepal did so in 2007. And Bangladesh, unfortunately, hasn't been able to. And I guess one of the things that I want to get a sense of is, you know, obviously the climate crisis and how it impacts Indigenous people is quite harrowing. And one of the things that is so important right now is figuring out how to build movements and struggles that can win. And I guess I want to ask you, given all of the, the things that are happening with respect to mobilization, especially with the youth, what has been the most inspirational climate struggle that you've witnessed in recent years? Mm-hmm. I give you an example that the Munda are an Indigenous community who moved about 200 years ago during colonial times from what is India today to the mangrove forest of the Sundarbans in Bangladesh. Landowners had requested cheap workers who would be able to cultivate the land 
in the mangrove forest. So the Munda built their villages in the forest and still life, hard life. Yeah, I mean, it's by fishing, small agriculture, or um, labor. And uh, yeah, so when I visited, and exactly the date, I don't remember, but November 2019, when I visited the Munda community, and I, first I asked for a glass of water, and first they hesitated to give me a glass of water. And they said, we cannot give you the, a glass of water. Why was that? Because the water was quality not good. It's bitter and salty. So you know what they are drinking, they have the stability. But if they give me, maybe I can have problems. So that's why they said that. And I said, it will no problem. But then uh, they gave me a glass of water. Then I tried and it was bitter and dirty and salty. So they told me that the sea water level is rising so that groundwater is getting salty and not agriculture. So, I mean, they're not growing any vegetables and it's, it's dangerous for drinking uh, for animals and humans. So already we are suffering from this crisis and here people doesn't want to believe what is going on in climate change. So I think we have to also think about who did not have any contribution, any emitters who are just living as a simple life and they are in a tipping point. One thing I want interested in hearing you speak about is, you know, what is the importance of taking, if at all, a decolonial or anti-colonial approach to the climate justice movement? In a way, you know, you are making the German government accountable for its emissions and specifically carbon emissions and contribution to the climate crisis. And Germany doesn't have, to my knowledge, a direct relationship to Bangladesh in terms of a colonial relationship that could be laid out by settler colonialism or military occupation, et cetera. So how is a pursuing not just a legal accountability for the climate crisis to Germany or Europe more broadly, how is that taking a decolonial approach and what power does decoloniality have for thinking about this ongoing climate crisis? Mm -hmm. First, I want to say about the recently, uh, just I, I also mentioned about tipping points. So recently, I mean, there has been discussion about tipping points for climate change. So tipping points are those moments when we will not be able to control global warming anymore. Yeah. So when they happen, the developments become faster and faster and we move closer to the destruction of human life on earth. So for many indigenous peoples, the tipping points for the, their survival has been reached. In some cases, we have passed already. The reason for this is the, that uh, since long time, we faced social, economic, and cultural marginalization. Global warming is the last drop of water into a glass full of water and it overflows. I want to include one thing also. I remember that young boy 
uh, belonging to an indigenous community in the coastal area of Bangladesh. In May 2020, super cyclone Amphan hit the area. So more than 100 villages were destroyed. And the floods moved into the land for many kilometers. The region remained flooded for more than six months. Schools were closed. In the middle of the disaster, this boy took his five sheep to a spot of dry land which remained. His life got heavily affected and he deserves the same life as people are living it here. But he has no time to waste for being just a victim. He becomes active to protect what he still could save. Yeah, and I, I think what you're bringing up is so important that where people happen to be born can impact the extent to which they feel and experience the climate crisis. And this summer has been one of the hot summer of 2021, has been one of the hottest recorded summers in human history. There have been hurricanes, there was cyclone in, in Bangladesh, Yas cyclone. There's Hurricane Ida that hit Louisiana and parts of even New York City were flooded this summer. And so no one is immune from these ongoing crises and specifically within the global South, it feels particularly heavy to face this. And I guess in a way, I want to ask, do you have any hope <laughs> for some of the work that you've been doing, at least from the legal framework or even other frameworks? Are there ways in which the activism that's been taking this more international approach and thinking about climate change or even Fridays of the Future, in, is there a Fridays of the Future in Bangladesh that has been thinking about actively some of these issues of hope and change for a better future? Uh, this is a very good question for me because whenever I give the lecture, I face this. So yes, I always in my lecture, I talk about in Germany, the, in, as activists, I get the energy that I would give the, it's a, for Friday for Future or Andy Galande or Kultuone Kohle, the activists who are working they, they are working, so I want to give the message for them that here as activists, that they have to include our voices as indigenous or black people or who are marginalized or vulnerable people because this crisis is a common struggle, yeah? a common struggle crisis. So we have to be a common voice. Yes, I heard the, they talk about Friday for Future, and I have hope and they will, they are giving space us. So, but they have to include as the indigenous or marginalized people or the not decolonized or the black people, not like it. They have to give the, we have to come together and they are not talking about indigenous or black people, they said, we want climate justice. Yes, we want, but we are facing already in a tipping points. So we have to bring in together. And yes, we, we can work together, but only if we respect each other. So in a way, what you're describing is that there should be a more of an effort by more mainstream organizations like Fridays for the Future, to think about maybe being a bit more inclusive 
to indigenous people, to African descended people, to Latinx people, so that it's a movement that reflects the plurality of the world and not just those who kind of had certain kinds of privileges in Europe or North America. Am I correct in rephrasing that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. That we, uh, they have to, they have to include us. Uh, they are struggle here that they should include the indigenous or black or anywhere. Yes, exactly what you said. Yeah, and it reminds me about two years ago, there was a collective called Wretched of the Earth that wrote an open letter to the environmental group Extinction Rebellion, stating that the fight for climate justice is the fight for our lives, and we need to do it right. And in that, they talked about strategies and narratives to reinvigorate the climate movement in the UK from a perspective that could be more inclusive of you know, queer people, people of color, et cetera. And I think in some ways that conversation opened up and hopefully reshifted the ideas that we should take more decolonial approaches. We should include the perspectives of people from the, from the global South, that we should pass a Green New Deal, take hold transnational corporations accountable in the way that you've been doing in the hostile environment that put up puts up walls and defenses. So for example, making sure that there's an end to border regimes and that there's an opportunity for climate refugees to be taken seriously and allowed entry without <laughs> you know, barriers into Europe and North America if they want to come and that we don't weaponize xenophobia against people of color and people from the global South. So I think that you know, these co ongoing conversations and demands are so important as you've been doing the work to really establish a climate justice movement that is inclusive of all of the social justice issues that impacts our lives. Yeah, that's uh, absolutely, yeah, I agree with you. That's the, my message that we have to, I mean, we want climate justice as the here Friday for Future who are doing their for future generation, but we are suffering already so our stories, our experience coming to share here. And also I have been visited in Avila in Germany where landslides happen and the people are already discussed with me their experience that how would be happen. I don't know. I mean, after this many years, they would remember or not, but I think is the, the government supporting a lot of money and big equipments and good structure. Yes, it is important and immediate support, but the who are uh, sharing the experience that painful would not fill up. So they have the experience. So I think that we have um, in Germany also, when they, they suffer maybe here uh, in a part in Berlin or other Hamburg or people are not facing that and they don't realize. I think we have to realize about that and we have to include and listen other experiences and stories that who are bringing. And I especially, I want to give also the who are activists more. They have to bring who are affected by the climate justice or who are doing the right for global warming, I mean, for climate and also other cases for who are activists as other things they they are so 
we have to give here. I mean, first they have to bring because we we are not able to come to Germany, and we are not able for German people if they would like to travel for holiday, they can go to Bangladesh or they can go to Nepal or India. They can go, but we cannot come to here. Our voice then our voices not be heard here, but uh, we are suffering and they who are. Shimarani, who are, who hesitated to give me a glass of water, her voices be not heard here, and then they would not know here. So I think we should include their experiences here. The activists bringing us that to support to bringing here the struggle. Then we can, yeah, work together. That is, and you know, it's a time is running and already too late for many people. Yeah, thank you so much for bringing that perspective. You know, obviously, like you said, time is up and we need to act as soon as possible to deal with this climate crisis. As we come to a close, I wanted to ask you if there are any specific books or organizations or peoples that you would recommend that people look up so that they can take action no matter where they are, because in a way, learning more about it this crisis, especially as it impacts people in Bangladesh and in Southern Asia is, is so important. And I, I hope that people can continue to, to gain more information. So do you have any recommendations for books or peoples? Mm-hmm. Uh, first, only uh, uh, another that when I leave Munda place, the old Munda man told me that they live in a crisis and a whole life they live in a crisis, but they have to live very soon, their village. So about this experience, no in in a book's reference or in a no recommend because their voices are not heard. So I think I would recommend that we have to bring in their voices, their experiences. That's my recommend, yeah. Yeah, it's important to know that living people and living people who may not always have representation and published material are such an important source of information and to allow them to have a seat at the table in these discussions about such a large and impactful event like the climate crisis is significant. So thank you for acknowledging that to incorporate the voice of of the elders. So thank you so much for taking the time to sit with me and have this interview. I was joined by Yi Pru. I really appreciate your commentary. Thank you very much also. My name is Edna Bonong, and you have been listening to the Decolonization in Action podcast. And we were digitally based voices here in Berlin, Germany. As always, there's a list of references and bibliography in the show notes to learn more about the podcast or to find more information about the people and events referenced, please visit www.decolonizationinaction.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at Deck in Action. If you like what you hear, rate, comment, and share our episodes on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Spotify. I hope you have a great day.